Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So for the last seven weeks, uh, we have been talking about developing this life with God, this hidden life that's below the surface. Uh, my, my true desire is that you have added more time, quality time with the Lord during this time. I, I wrote a statement down that, uh, that my, my hope is, is that this, this, these last seven messages have changed your life. When I wrote that down, I was like, that's a little bit aggressive. And I'm like, no, I, I hope that it's changed your life. I hope that it's done something in you because the more time that you spend with the Lord, not just in, in clock hours, but like quality time, actually opening your heart to him, it will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. This, this, these, last, these last seven weeks, now this eighth week, it, it's a game changer. And it's a deal breaker if you don't add time to the, with the Lord. It really will determine what the Lord can do with the rest of your life. So, you know, we're, we're not just like flying through series. In fact, where we're going uh, in the upcoming weeks is just gonna add on ammunition to the tools and the weapons that the Lord's given us over these last seven weeks. So we're not just like leaving this on to something completely new. The uh, Lord's burning uh, new things in our heart to share uh, with this church family that, that we feel like is for today that can continue to take you uh, deeper into the Lord. So it's been, uh, it's, it's been a fun ride for me over these last couple of weeks. He's even showing me too. I, I heard a statement. I think I said it before. In fact, it was last year on this 40-day negativity fast that, that I'm on with these, the emails and so on I shared with you. And the statement was that there'll never be a convenient time to renew your mind. So you might as well do it today right? The circumstances will never be perfect. So I was even thinking like, okay, so, you know, I have a routine in my time with the Lord, some at home, some here. And the Lord was just telling me, okay, this message series is going to be over. You need to like watch yourself that you don't go back into some other uh, habit or anything, you know? And it wasn't like, he's not, God's not mad at me. It's just like a really good, healthy warning. It's a caution. So even for me, I was just thinking of that statement. There'll never be a convenient time to spend more time with the Lord. Like, you're never going to wake up and say, I have all this extra time today, so I'm going to give it to you, right? I might take a nap with it instead. So what you need to do is be intentional about scheduling time with Jesus. You schedule time with the people who are important to you all the time. You schedule time with the things that are your priorities. So from the bottom of my heart, I'm asking you, if your lifestyle with your quiet time, your private time with him has not changed over the last seven weeks, I'm asking you to make a commitment before you go to sleep tonight with the Lord to take fresh steps with him in a personal relationship. I wanna share with you today about living in the overflow and living in that flow that the Lord has for us. When you think about things that are overflowing, some can be really good, and then some things not really good. For instance, sink. A sink overflowing with dishes, not good, right? I don't think I've ever come home and said like, wow, this is awesome. Our sink is overflowing with dishes, because that means lots and lots of work. Laundry basket, overflowing with clothes, not cool, right? Don't like it. Toilets, overflowing. My kids can testify to this. I was actually looking up real overflowing toilets. Didn't want to gross you out, so we put a cartoon in there. <laughs> so these are like not cool overflowing. These are things you do not 
want to experience overflow in your life. Now, for me personally, I like three things that are overflowing. They all deal with food. I don't know why. First is popcorn at the movies. Have you ever gotten a popcorn basket that isn't quite filled? Like you feel like you've gotten ripped off of all your money, right? But it's overflowing just a little bit. Now you're willing to actually share. I know some of you will agree with the second one, Chick-fil-A fries. <laughs> Everybody loves it. I don't know. I've gotten them before where it's just right under the rim, and I've gotten them before where they're falling off on the tray. Again, you feel like you hit the jackpot whenever they're overflowing. The last one's probably my favorite is nachos at a game with the cheese dripping on your hand all hot and stuff and the nachos all over. Again, you just feel like you've won such a prize because there's overflow in these areas. This is the same type of overflow, not the bad, but the good. We want you to have overflow in your life with Jesus. We want you to know that you are experiencing more than enough with Jesus. So it doesn't just benefit you, it benefits other people. Does this make sense? Overflow is all about being filled to the brim and then overflowing, spilling out Onto others. In Ephesians 5, now I'm going to preach from 1 Samuel 17. So if you want to even go there, my, my verses will be out of the New Living Translation. But I just want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 5, because we are meant to be overflowing with the Spirit. We're meant to be filled with the Spirit. And then the connotation of this is a constant, continuous filling, meaning that we are overflowing to other people. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk with wine. So don't be filled up with something that's intoxicating, that's going to take you down the wrong path, said it, because that will ruin your life. He said, instead, this is Paul talking, be filled. Can you say filled? filled. Say it like you mean it. Filled. filled. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I love what he says right after this, because he's telling us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what are we doing? We're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. These are things that Adam talked about, and Pastor Adam did a great job last week preaching on that private time of worship. But this shows us the posture of our heart of when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're singing to him, worshiping him, right? We're in an attitude of worship and prayer. And it says, in giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're saying, listen, I wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanna be saturated with him, drenched with him to the point where then I can affect positively the other people that I'm interacting with. This is not a one-time filling. This is a continuous filling. This is not a, I came, you know, we're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that filling to overflowing of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't mean coming down to the altar to receive prayer one time and then say, 37 years ago, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an active verb. Continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it only comes in our private time. Yes, it'll happen at the altars when people are praying for you but the actual continuous relationship with the Lord is going to happen whenever you're by yourself with the Lord. So I can say with great excitement that this is possible. You don't have to feel dry in your walk with the Lord. You don't have to feel like somebody else is so much further along that you're never gonna attain to that. It's possible. If God had Paul give us a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a continuous fashion, always having more than enough, then we know that it's possible. 
So there's excitement and anticipation in that. There's also a lot of concern in my heart for those who simply do not take time to allow their hearts to be revealed to the Father, and they don't take time for the Father to reveal his heart to them. Because the truth of the matter is, is you will not fulfill the purpose that God has for your life if this one thing is not present in your lifestyle. Again, you can serve in all the ministries. You can have all the trophies. Hey, you, maybe you'll have multiple golden bricks, right? You can have all these awards and you can be successful financially, successful even in relationships. But if you miss this one thing, if you miss the time alone with God where he can form you, develop you, take the junk out of your life and just clean you out so you're an open vessel that he can pour his spirit into to the point of overflowing, then we'll miss it. Like, what a tragedy. I, I want to be serious. What a tragedy that would be for you to stand before the Lord at the end of your days on this earth and come to a point of realizing that you actually didn't fulfill everything that he had you uh, called to do, the full purpose that he has in your life. You'd say, why? I tried really hard. I went to church every day. I was in five ministries, all this stuff. He's like, you didn't spend alone time with me to know my heart. So you made decisions that were over here. Yeah, you were in ministries and I didn't ask you to be in any of those. I wanted you over here. You see the tragedy that would be. We can't overcomplicate this thing. We need time with him that he could fill us up to overflowing. I wanna qualify something. When we talk about being filled to overflowing, I've said it earlier in the, and when we look at, uh, when we look at David's life here in just a moment, this does not mean everything's going perfect for you. In fact, it doesn't even mean that everything's going well for you. It doesn't mean that you feel perfect or that you feel anointed or that you feel like everything's great. In fact, everything in your life and around your life could feel like it's crashing in and you could still be overflowing. If you've grown up in church and you've heard the stories of David's life, how many of you would admit he had a pretty difficult life? Like a lot of bad things happened to him and yet he still had more than enough to benefit other people, to affect the, the, the atmosphere, the environment around him. Enough for God to say that, that, that David was a man after God's own heart. Adam hit on this last week. I'm just gonna launch off of where he was. David spent a significant amount of time alone with God, singing, talking to him, wailing, complaining at times, and then coming back to know that God's love always, always perseveres, right? His love never fails. Unfailing love, unfailing faithfulness. This was David's lifestyle all the way through from when he was on in, the, in the shepherd field, in the pasture, all the way to when he was king. What I wanna do is use the story of David and Goliath and David's life leaving up to this situation to use it as a parallel of our time with God that will actually determine our time and how we spend it the rest of our days. We're gonna pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Leading up to this time, David was already anointed in secret to be the next king, okay? So it's not like Saul knows this. And it would be years before he would ever take over. Uh, Saul, it's, it talks about 
that the Holy Spirit that was poured out on Saul for that task had left, and there was a tormenting spirit that was afflicting Saul now. So Saul's asking, I need, like, I need somebody who can be a, uh, uh, come and minister to me. So they knew of this young shepherd boy named David who was an excellent harp player. I uh, was dedicated to the Lord. So he came and he began to minister to Saul, and Saul wanted David to stay with him. So David actually became his armor bearer, even though Scripture says that he would, he would uh, serve Saul in singing and bringing peace to that atmosphere. But then he would also go back to his, his father, Jesse, and still take care of the sheep. So if you see here, he was called into the palace to minister to a tormented king, but he was still a shepherd boy. He was still a young boy taking care of his father's sheep. Where we pick up here is Jesse sent, uh, sent David to where his brothers were. Israel was fighting uh, the Philistines, okay? So they were up on these two opposing hills and Jesse sent him with, I think it was bread and some cheese for the captain and I think it was maybe barley. Um, and he was sent in here. Now, while he's here, what he sees is, is this, this giant over nine feet tall comes out of the crowd of the Philistines for 40 straight days. And he basically says, fight me. If anybody can beat me, then we'll be your slaves. If I beat them, though you guys will be our slaves. And day after day, they just continued to retreat in fear, retreat in fear, retreat in fear. So now David shows up, young kid, and he seems like this is not a problem at all. And people are mad at him. His brother thinks he's walking in pride. He's like, you're just doing this because you want to see the battle. You're prideful, da, 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 da. And now we're picking up where David and Saul, who is the current king, David's a young shepherd who also ministers to Saul, are having a conversation. Verse 32. It says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. I, seem how, seem, I was going to say, see how ridiculous this is. And in my translation, it says, don't be ridiculous, Saul said. <laughs> it says, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. I do not think Saul was trying to demean David here. If you look at where the ages were, you're, you were usually a teenager when you started to watch over your own sheep. So he was probably at least 13. Scripture also says in other areas where God calls every man 20 and older to prepare for battle, which means David was not old enough yet to go to war or he would have been in the army. So he was somewhere between 13 and 19 years old, meaning he has never fought this way before. He has no experience on the battlefield. And Saul honestly is thinking, this is preposterous. You're going to get killed. It says in verse 34, but David persisted. And he says this, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. Now, if I was Saul and I'm looking across the valley to this enormous giant, this evil giant that wants to kill everybody that everybody else is afraid of. And this is David's opening line. I've been watching after my dad's sheep. Like I could see Saul's like, yeah, this is going to go somewhere really good. <laughs> but he says this, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Now in Hebrew, this may not be speaking of a literal lion or a bear, but some type of ferocious animal. So I'm going to refer to it as a lion or a bear throughout our message because that's what the English translated it. But we know it was a fero at least on multiple times there were animals that had stolen uh, these lambs, these sheep, these goats, and had ripped them out of the, of the sheepfold, and David went after it. 
And he said here, so, so he would get the lamb from the mouth of this animal. It says, if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Yeah. So David begins to explain to Saul what preparation he has had in private when no one else was watching. Think about this. This was private training that was never going to make a Facebook post. It was never going to go viral on Instagram. These are victories that David won alone with God in private. And he's using this as a backdrop to try to get the king to allow him to now fight a giant in this public realm where both armies are watching. David understood the preparation, the training, and the victories that were necessary when no one else was around that had then prepared him to have victory in the public. In fact, these victories gave him an overwhelming confidence that God was with him and God would give him victory with thousands of men watching. A place where he, his name could have gone down in you know, a list of people who were humiliated in public. And yet he knew, I have been forged by the Father in private and I'm ready to go to battle in public. Now I could think, like there may have been a lot of times, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe even years while he's watching these sheep, he's a young kid, like 13, 14 years old, and he's watching, and maybe I, I'm picturing the first time, you know, that bear, that lion, that ferocious animal crests the hill. Scripture doesn't say he could have run the other way many times, right? He could have taken off. He's not saying all of these other things. He's not saying he was never afraid. He's not saying he wasn't anxious. He wasn't saying he had a difficult time working this out with the Lord. What he's saying is these things have come to pass now. And even when you look at the Psalms, we don't have record of Psalms, of, of him writing Psalms when he was actually on the field. But this is part of his preparation. This is part of the foundation of the rest of his life. So when we see Psalms that were written later on, they make sense to us for what he's gone through in all of life. So uh, something like Psalm 5, verse 1, it says, hear, uh, O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help my King and my God, for I pray to, you, to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. I can guarantee you, at least as my own personal belief, that he did not wait until Saul was chasing him down and he's in a cave to produce this lifestyle. That it was early in the morning as he's taking care of the sheep as a little boy, he began to call out to God. And that bear, that lion crest the hill and he's like, Please listen to my groanings. Like, and he's running away from him. But somewhere, as he waits expectantly for the Lord to show up, there was a strengthening that's taking place in his spirit that actually led to strength in, in his physical body that he was willing to go after. In Psalm 8, 1, he says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. I could picture him just looking over these hills as he's taking care of Remember, he was writing these later on. He says, your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. I could just imagine, was he thinking of this specific situation? Oh man, I remember 35 years ago when I was 18 years old, telling this king about the strength of the Lord and how I can go and take out this Goliath. Because he says here, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. These are all things that he authored later on, but there was a story to be told in his private time with the Lord that prepared him. 
You know, I can also imagine like that first time and he has his sheep and he sees that bear, that lion come up. And I'm sure, I mean, there's probably like an adrenaline rush or some nervousness. And he's thinking, no, no. He's thinking, yep, today's a day. And he just runs after this thing. He grabs that lamb out. That thing turns back around. He grabs it by the jaw, by the throat and just clubs it to death. I want you to see something. Somewhere in the progression of his time alone with God in the, in the fields allowed him to come to a point of running toward his problems and not away. And nobody else is watching. This isn't for fame. It's not for a golden brick. It's not for an award. The king's not watching. He's all alone with his enemy, a club, and something that he cares for. And he created a lifestyle of running toward his problems while he was all alone with God. Scripture doesn't say that he went back and told his brothers and Jesse and they had a prayer meeting about it. He doesn't say, he didn't send mail all out to tell people how difficult his life was. Something by himself with his Lord and his God gave him a strength and a confidence that I'm going after my problems in private and I'm gonna get the victory in private so when something happens in public, I'm ready for battle. This is what we need. This is what we need in our life. We need to learn to go to battle. You don't have to have a club in your hand, right? You have the word, maybe you have some worship music and you have time that you can go to the Lord and say, I'm sick of being afraid of these problems. I am sick of dealing with this anxiety. I'm sick of worrying about what every other person's gonna say about me in life. I need victory in this area, Father. Do you see how spiritually that's running towards your problems, right? You're not hiding what's bothering you in your private time with the Lord now. You're sharing with him what the enemy of your soul is, what the devil's trying to do in your life. Let the Lord reveal those things. Let him give you strength here. You know, it's, it's easy. It's actually easier in front of a whole group of people to pray aggressively and do this. And we're gonna go after the devil. We're gonna heal the sick and raise the dead. Like when we're all together, we, we, uh, you can say, amen, amen, amen. When you're all by yourself, if you can develop that type of strength, when you're by yourself with the Lord, he's gonna give you wisdom for every single problem you face. He's gonna give you strength. Again, that could be pressing in on all sides of you, but you'll still have overflow. I think you'll still have overflow. So what's happening is, is this. When you're by yourself with the Lord, you're building up a resistance against the enemy, right? The Lord's giving you the strategies of the enemy so you know how to pray effectively. So then when you are in your everyday life and the enemy comes against you, it doesn't, he doesn't knock you over. Does this make sense? You're building up a resistance in your private time. So when you're going about your day and the devil does one little thing and he doesn't take you off course for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. In James 4, 7, it says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. So where are you humbling yourself? Before men or before God? Very easy answer. And everybody else isn't sure yet? <laughs> Where do you humble yourself before? Before God, not before men. Okay, so what, I'm not saying don't be humble with men. I'm saying the place where you come and submit yourself to, to God and you humble yourself before God is before God alone. 
It's not, listen, if you don't humble yourself before God and then you get around people, it's already too late. Pride's gonna come out. So you humble and you submit yourself while you are by yourself with the Father. And it's in that position of submission and humility that then you begin to resist the enemy. How do you resist the enemy? By coming close to the Father and he's coming close to you. This all happens in private. So think about this. If you don't ever spend time with God alone, by yourself with him, you're building up absolutely no resistance against the enemy. Your Bible study and the answers that you have in your small group, those are beneficial in the communication, the friendships, the prayer. Those things are all good and godly, but those aren't gonna be the answer. This isn't gonna be the answer on a Sunday morning. It's you and him, your savior, your creator, the Holy Spirit who lives within you. It's that relationship that is needed for overflow. And this happens when we're by ourselves. So David continues to explain to Saul the private victories he's had. Verse 36. He says, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. Pause. Y'all know we're not fighting against people in the new covenant, right? It's a spiritual battle against the enemy. You're like, you're coming out. You're like, I'm going home buying a club. I'm getting my boss. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) All right. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. He says, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I love this. So David, a shepherd boy, is actually looking at his victories over a lion and a bear as something spiritual. I love that. Like you guys, when you're at work this week and you're just thinking the problem that you solved for your boss or the issue that you solved with your coworkers or something that you saw that's going to help your business prosper, that's spiritual. Like the Lord's actually giving you those victories. So David's realizing these things. Me beating a lion to death so I can have the sheep back that the Lord has given me to steward over is spiritual. So he's saying, listen, if the Lord has done it in my private time, he will absolutely do it in my public time. I love it because he, he didn't look at the giant as the problem. He looked at the Lord as the solution. I just read this past week, this quote. It says, the heaviness we are feeling is probably not about the circumstance we're facing, but from our own beliefs about God and life. So what's happening, if you don't have this alone time, if you don't have this development with the Lord, we could set a hundred different circumstances in front of you and the same response will happen. Fear, anxiety, all these different things, worry, all this stuff. So what's happening? Instead of you being forged in the fire. You're being burnt by the fire. The very thing that's supposed to strengthen you is actually causing you to get weaker and weaker and weaker because you're not taking time to be with the solution. You're not taking time for him to just, to, to, to just forge this thing in you so you know you can make it. You know you have more than what you need so then you can affect other people for the kingdom. So David saw this as something spiritual. In the second half of verse 37, he says, Saul finally consented. He said, all right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. He's thinking, I'm not gonna be with you. I hope the Lord is. No one else was going out with David. 
Verse 38 says, And Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail, which means an armor or breastplate. Verse 39, uh, David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and he took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And he says, I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not using them. So David took them off again. I feel like what the Lord's saying is, is this, you have to develop your own armor with God. Like your mom and, like for the youth, your mom and your dad's armor isn't gonna cut it. Spouses out there, your wife's armor isn't gonna cut it. It'll look silly on you. And women, your husband's armor is not gonna fit. We have to take the time for the Lord to develop armor on us. In Ephesians 6, it talks about this armor where Paul's saying, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to do what? Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So what is he saying to do? The way to resist the enemy, the way to be able to have victory in the public is to put on the armor, to stand firm. Then he goes on. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put every piece of God's armor on so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. On a Sunday morning in church, this is not the place to like put on your armor. This is a pretty safe place. You need to have your armor on when you're alone with him. In fact, the quality of the armor that you receive is going to be directly related to the quality of time that you give the Lord to customize this thing in your life. He wants every single one of us to have a specific armor that is tailored to us, and it's not going to happen in a church service. It will happen when you are by yourself with God to the point then where he is going to pour out his spirit to the point of overflowing. So back in 1 Samuel, verse 40, it says this. So this is what David does. Instead of all this fancy armor, instead of a sword, he picks up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Isn't that beautiful? Like what, what did he have around him when he's clubbing these animals to death? His shepherd's bag. This was his armor. That's how he fought his battles. That's how he fought to the place of victory wearing the armor that God gave him. This is how I've come to know, Lord, that you will bring me victory. Very simple, shepherd's staff and the bag. It says, then only armed with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. I love this because he didn't need to stop and pray. Did you see this? He doesn't need to go into a three-day fast. He's already prayed enough and fasted enough and he already has all the private victories needed to give him the confidence that God's gonna give him this victory in public. So he's like, okay, I remember the first time. I remember the adrenaline rush. I remember taking this club and running toward it. So what does he do? He doesn't say, I'll meet you in the middle. He takes off toward the problem. He's willing to run. This is the key though. In this time, this is not just about him and his sheep. An entire nation is at stake here. So potentially for the very first time in his life, his relationship with the Lord is going to affect one other person, two other people, but an entire nation. And this is where overflow is extremely important 
Because if he thought like God was just giving him strength for his own private shepherding, that's not going to cut it. But he understood that there was overflow in his life and he's running toward that problem. You know, this is just a very simple illustration of God and us. He doesn't want us to just have a little bit of him. We know this. We know this. And this is what a little, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying short prayers don't work. I'm not saying, when I say time, I'm talking about quality. I've heard of people, they, they, they get up and they have to go. They have to be at work early. Then pray in your car, sing in your car, blast the music, do whatever you need to do. Busy moms, pray, sing while you are washing dishes, while you're preparing meals. Do you understand? Don't get in, in your mind that you have to be like on your knees by your bed, you know, with the, the lights a certain way. It's opening your heart to him. So this isn't enough, this isn't enough, this isn't enough, this isn't enough. When we get to the point of being filled, now we know the Lord, he is, he's solving our problems, he's with us, he's empowering us. But he didn't place us on earth just to, just to have a nice life. He put us on earth to affect other people, to advance his kingdom everywhere we go. Now for the other people who are these small glasses that don't know the Lord, that don't come to church, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're dry, they're empty. They need somebody who's overflowing that is going to get into them, to minister to them. This right here, this point of your life when you're actually overflowing is when you will get to a point of having people be healed, set free, encouraged, and come to the Lord. The Lord asked me this question. At this moment in time, are you more concerned that there's water spilled on the floor or that your life isn't being spilled to other people's lives? Because it is a great concern, isn't it? And it should be. We can retape the scene. We can clean up. But if we're living a life that's just short of overflowing, there's so many people around us that just need Jesus. They need ministered to. And he sent us to do that. So it's not just about us having the right answer. It's not just about us having peace. It's not just about our own victory. He's actually placed us on the earth to spread his gospel to a point where our relationship with the Lord affects other people. So we're not meant to have a pond. We're not meant to have a stream. We're not meant to even have a lake. We are meant to have living waters, rivers of living water flowing through us all of the time. Jesus said in John 4, 14, talking to the woman at the well, he said, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. What does that mean? You're not gonna be thirsty for the world again. You're not gonna be concerned with getting drunk on wine. You're not gonna be concerned with watching so much TV. You're not gonna be concerned with being on social media all of the time. You're gonna be thirsty for him alone. What happens when we drink from the Lord? It says it becomes a fresh bubbling spring. Not a spring that's just underground. It's a bubbling spring that comes from within, bubbling out onto the ground to get onto everything else. And it says it gives them eternal life. This is not a one-time thing. This is a continuous drinking from the Lord until we are overflowing. Jesus said in John 7, 38, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water. Can you say that? Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. I want this message to bring conviction to a point where it brings change. 
Not where you walk out of here and you say, well, I was dry coming in. I kind of feel all crusty and there's some algae here. And now I'm just going to feel bad about myself. No, no, no. Allow the Lord to speak to you in such a way that you know, by, even by the end of this week, you're going to feel, you're going to know that there are rivers of living water flowing from within you. So David, verse 43, Goliath says to him, am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he curses David in the names of his gods. He said, come over here and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yells. And David replies, you have come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So what's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to intimidate and curse David. And the, the devil is still in that business today. He's trying to intimidate you and curse you. So you start walking toward him and you say, it's okay, I'll just walk away. I'll just go on my day and I'll soothe it with alcohol, with television, with social media. We'll just soothe the pain one more day. And the enemy sees it and he's not dumb. If you're not aware of his strategies, he'll continue to intimidate you. He'll continue to try to curse you until you've had enough. And maybe today you're saying, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm gonna use what the Lord's already given me and I'm going after, I'm going after this enemy and I'm not gonna tell anybody else about it right now. I'm not gonna post about it. I'm not gonna turn it into a prayer request. I'm gonna figure this thing out with the Lord and he's gonna give me revelation. He's gonna give me strength. I'm gonna find a private victory and then I'll have my public victory. And there's evidence here that David is in overflow because he doesn't pray for victory. He declares victory is his. That's a huge difference, folks. If you, if you listen, if you're spending just a little bit of time so, you're, so your conscience isn't guilty with the Lord and you come out and you face opposition, you're gonna be praying, God, please, please, please show up here. But if you spend enough time to be strong in him, you're gonna come out of that declaring, the Lord is with me and is giving me victory. So what's he say here in verse 46? Today, the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and cut your head off. Wow, do we want that type of authority talking to the devil? Talking to our problems that way. The second half of verse 47, he says, this is the Lord's battle and he will give it to us. So reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he hurls it, slings it, hits the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. It's because this, he wasn't doing life the way everybody else was doing life. He was doing life the way the Lord had him do life. So he didn't use, he didn't use the armor and the weapons that the rest of the culture used. Does this make sense? The Lord's gonna give you a different strategy that's unique to your life. He's gonna give you an armor and a weapon that's unique to you, and you'll win with that. Or you could try the way your friend who's known the Lord for 40 years is doing it, or you could try the way that this person is doing or that person is doing it, and it's not gonna work. You're using somebody else's weapons. Get your own weapons from the Lord. Let Him speak to you. Let Him cause a deep conviction in your life, and you'll go out with that. I love what, I love what the Lord does. He makes a mockery out of the enemy's weapon. Because after Goliath falls, David picks up, he picks up Goliath's weapon and uses it against him to chop his head off. And he's saying, listen, 
My weapons work because I've, for, I've been forged by the Father in private. I'm gonna use the things he's given me and I will see victory in this. I will see victory in this. Why don't you stand at this time? Later on in David's life, he wrote Psalm 23 and there were a lot of instances that he was probably thinking about when he wrote this. But I wonder if he was just thinking a little bit about his time with David and Goliath, Goliath, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This was in the midst. Like when he looks back at his life, this is not like a calm time in his life so he gets to lay down and take a nap. In the midst of all of these trials that he faced throughout his life, he was able to write this. So he said, he guides me along the paths, the right paths for his name's sake. And he says, even though I walk in the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many of you know that has to happen in your private time? You don't want, you don't want the rod of the Lord showing up like in public with you, right? I'd rather have him deal with me in a private time. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Come on. For him to be able to sit down and dine with the Lord in the presence of his enemies, that is time well spent with the God of all creation. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Can you say that? My cup overflows. He knew his cup overflows. He says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your, uh, your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. My cup, say that, say my cup overflows. Now, if you're saying, I'm saying this because pastors asked me to, but I don't feel like it. All right, you know, I don't feel like my cup's overflowing. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna make it a priority to allow the Lord to have us with a cup that's overflowing, right? So we're gonna close this series out singing a song called Living in the Overflow. If you're already there, use it as a celebration. If you're struggling somehow to get there, stop struggling and just give God time. You're gonna use it as a declaration of this is where you're headed. If you feel dry and burnt out, use it as a prophecy over your life that this is coming, there will be a day very soon where I'm living in the overflow. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.